All right, Exodus 17, we're looking at verses 1 through 7. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us uh, before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be with us. Uh, we, we confess that nothing good will happen tonight uh, if you don't cause it. Uh, so we, we pray that you would really be here by your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts up to your word, <clears throat> that your word would go out with power and it would change us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, has anybody heard of, uh, have you heard of cat, dog, and cat theology? Anybody? Maybe not, probably not. Alright, dog and cat theology, uh, it basically goes like this. Uh, a dog fundamentally looks at the world around it, and it basically thinks this. That guy puts food in the dish, he puts water in the bowl, he pets me, he takes care of me, he must be God. I'm going to love and serve him forever. A cat basically looks at the world fundamentally and thinks this. He puts food in the dish, he puts um, oh, water in the bowl, he pets me, he takes care of me. I must be God. He will love me and serve me forever. And look, if you know anything about cats and dogs, especially the cats, by and large, you know that that's exactly how they seem to operate, right? Um, and at least I think it's funny, sort of. It's not that funny, but because the dog has it right, right? The dog sees reality, in a sense, of the way it is. And the cat has it all backwards, which is why, you know, some of us don't particularly care for cats. But everything about the way the cat sees the world in that, you know, in that uh, little deal is completely backwards from the way it's, from reality. And uh, this semester, if you've been with us, you know that we're studying through Exodus, and uh, which is, we say every week, it's the great story of God's salvation, of him saving his people from Israel and bringing them out. And uh, each week our theme is that Exodus is the pattern of salvation. 
That is to say that the way we see God save here in Exodus is emblematic of how he saves even today. So as we look at these stories and we examine how God saves, we can learn a great deal about what it looks like to experience his salvation here and now for us. And so tonight, as we look at this passage, uh, I think what we see, if I can put it this way, is a lot of backwardness. There's a lot of uh, backwardness in this story, and at least as it applies to God, apparent backwardness. Yeah, the, the big events of this passage seem to really be backwards from what we might expect. And so that's how we're going to look at it tonight. That's how I thought about this text, and that's how we're going to look at it. I want you to see uh, two, two things. I want you to see, number one, uh, backwards thinking by the people, by the Israelites. And then secondly, we're going to look at, we're going to look at backwards justice from God. So backwards thinking by the people. And so as we get started, like we do every week, let's just quickly rehearse kind of where we are, where we've, where we've been in the story of Exodus, right? The people of Israel, they're enslaved in Egypt, and God uh, comes on the scene and he says, you, I'm, I'm going to bring you out of there. I'm going to use Moses and I'm going to save you. And Pharaoh says no, and he, you know, the, then he sends the plagues, and uh, over a series of events, eventually Pharaoh says go, and they, you know, they leave Egypt And then Pharaoh changes his mind. He chases the people down. They're stuck between the Red Sea and the army. And then God parts the Red Sea. They go through safely. And he dumps the Red Sea back on the Egyptians, kills them. And so they're free. And uh, then God leads them through the desert, right? Leading them towards the promised land, which is where we've been the last couple of weeks. And last week we looked at, uh, just as they start into this journey, they, uh, they need food. And they grumble against God, and God provides manna, bread in the wilderness. Uh, and yeah, he, and so we talked about how God sustains us, how He gives us exactly what we need every day. And so here, what we have in this story, we pick up, and God has had them uh, follow Him again. They've picked up camp, and they're traveling, and they stop at this place called Rephidim, and they get there, but there's no water. Right? They show up and there's no, uh, you know, there's no stream, there's no well, river. So what do they do? Right? You need water to survive, so what do they do? Well, you might expect that at least one of them, right? at least somebody, would think, you know, maybe we should ask God for water. And even if people push back on that, like, what, you know, what do you mean, like, just... Okay, hang with me. Let me just think about it for a second, right? Maybe we should ask God because I do think it's fair, right? Think about it. it. He seems to just, you know, reasonably be for us, right? Just think about, you know, our last few months of existence. He showed up sort of out of the blue and he told us he was going to take us out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt and he did. And then there were all those plagues that he, you know, dumped onto Egypt and not onto us. And he let us out. And then, uh, and then you remember he, he has done some pretty amazing things with water and demonstrated that he can do anything he wants to with it. So he seems to work well with the substance. And then, and then remember this morning when we woke up? This morning we woke up and we picked up bread 
that was just laying on the ground that wasn't there last night and we all ate it and it was really good remember that right it that seems fairly reasonable to expect but no they seem to have forgotten all of that all of that very recent history right that morning and it's gone and in some ways, it, 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 it might seem silly at first. It actually probably will resonate with us if we think about it. Because in some ways, I think that's a trait of us as, as fallen human beings. We tend, to remember, we tend to remember things that we perceive as negative a lot easier than the things that we tend to uh, perceive as positive, right? Um, I bet it would be if I asked you, tell me the last time that somebody said something critical or, or harmful to you. And tell me the last time that someone praised you or gave you a compliment. And I, I, bet, I bet the negative stuff would come to mind a lot quicker. We tend to forget the good stuff. Um, I don't know why this came to mind, but, but just think about how you act when the power goes out. Right? You always know exactly how long the power's been out. Right? Um, you know, first reaction is, oh, great, of course, like, this is going to wreck my day. Of course, this is unbelievable. The power has been out for an hour and a half. The power was out for seven hours, seven hours yesterday. But you never remember, uh, you know, you've never thought, like, you know, the power has been on for 4,320 hours without going off. That's six months, by the way. You don't remember that kind of stuff. And I tried to work in an illustration about how one time in Louisville, our power went out for nine days in a row, by the way. Nine days. I remember that. Like, I may not ever forget that fact. Nine days. Um, but we tend to remember those things, right? And the Israelites, these Israelites, they seem so backwards in their thinking. How can they not remember that? How can they not remember these good things? Because it seems so obvious, but... Like we said, we, you know, like we just demonstrated, we're, we're prone to think the same, same ways. Right? We, we can so quickly forget the good things that God does for us, the things that he gives us. And we don't go to him with our concerns. Um, and as much as we could drill down there, I, I want to keep going because I want you to see that, that the Israelites' backwards thinking goes a lot deeper than just forgetting. It goes a lot deeper. Um, it's not just that they're forgetting what God, the positive things that God has done, as if, as if God's sort of neutral, you know, it's sort of a neutral issue. It's a whole lot deeper. Look how backwards their thinking is. Uh, their, their immediate reaction is basically to look at God through Moses and accuse him. They show up, at the, I mean, they just show up and there's just no obvious water right there and they basically say, this is your fault. You have done us wrong. Look at verse 2. It says, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And I wanna, there's a couple things we need to note about that. First, the word for quarrel, it's actually a legal term. It means to bring lawsuit against someone. They are, they are filing a, a suit against God. They are taking, taking legal action in a sense. So what, 
what I want you to see is they're not just sort of, they're not just sort of being fussy, right? Sort of being crabby with God, just whining about it. They are bringing lawsuit. They are saying, God, you have broken covenant, right? Covenant contract with us. And we are calling you out on it. Second thing I want you to notice is, notice what they, uh, they tell God's representative, Moses. Give us water. Right? The implication is that they're holding it back. That they, that they have the water to give and, and they're just not doing it. They have the water, they just don't want to give it up. That they're keeping it back. So in other words, it's not that they doubt, can God do this? Is, is there a God and is he big enough and strong enough to do it? That's not their struggle. Their struggle, what they really doubt is they doubt if he wants to give them water. Fundamentally, they just really don't believe that he cares about them. And so they pull into this camp and because they don't immediately see what they want, they go on the offensive and they accuse God. And they're basically saying, look, you don't, you don't care about us. Um, you're against us. You've been trying to kill us from the get-go. You're out to get us. We knew it the whole time. It, it's incredibly backwards thinking. Uh, it, I thought about it like this. It would be a little bit like, in, so our children, right, you're going to have to imagine that they're, they're older. Like, let's say, you know, well into teenage years for this to, to really hit home. So imagine our our teenage kids wake up one morning and they walk into the uh, to our, our living room and, and kitchen area and they don't see breakfast on the table and they go over to the pantry and look where it normally is and they don't see what we normally eat and they look at us and they say that's it I'm done you've been trying to kill us ever since we can remember You don't care about us. You don't love us. You don't do anything good for us. This is on you. And we're calling DHS and we'll let them come figure this out. And hopefully you're going to end up going to jail because of the way you treat us. Right? If if it wasn't so... Like, it's sort of funny. Like, you're laughing because that's a ridiculous scenario. But if that were real... Right? Do you feel how offensive that would be? Just how utterly insane for our, like uh, um, against you. We brought you into the, this world. We, I mean, certainly we're not perfect parents, but we have loved you, cared for you, done, provided you for everything. Right? Like this is crazy. So backwards, but this is what they do. And if we stop and think about it for a second, I think you might come to see that really we do the same thing. Because at its root, what they're doing, and what I'm going to suggest that you and I all default to doing, we all default to looking at God and doubting that he has our best interest at heart. It's really the root of of sin. That we think at the end of the day, you, you can't trust God. Because he doesn't really care about us. we tend to think that he's actually keeping the good stuff back from us. Yeah, he might provide some things, but, but he's pretty tight-fisted, that he's hanging on to stuff, and you, you just can't quite trust him. 
that he's being stingy. And so we essentially accuse, right? When, when, things, go, when things go wrong in our lives, when, they, when we perceive, when something happens that we perceive as negative, we tend to accuse. I'll give you an example from my life uh, this week, last week, from last week. I get a call from my doctor's office. Uh, that's, and they say, hey, the insurance, your insurance is not wanting to, uh, uh, they need this you know, prior authorization, and f- for that to happen, this is a medicine I've been on for a long time, and for that to happen, they need this certain document, basically your diagnosis, which is from a doctor you know, years ago, and the doctor's office has had this document for the two and a half years we've been here, but we, don't, we can't find it now. We don't have it. Like, well, I ain't got it. Uh, I gave it to you. And so, um, yeah, so they're calling me and like, hey, so do you have that? We can't find it. Can you call a doctor and get it, you know, from another doctor? And so immediately, right, at the very least, this is going to inconvenience my morning. But that's at the very least. But in about two seconds, I go from inconvenience, I'm going to have to quit what I'm doing and, and focus on this, to, um, right, the progression just goes like this. All right, you know, I don't know if they have it. They, they probably don't have it anymore. And if they don't have it, then I'm not going to get this medicine that I need because the insurance is not going to cover it. And I don't get that medicine that I need, then I don't really function like I need to. I don't really function like I need to. I don't really work like I should. I don't have a job. I'm out of a job. How do I get, I certainly don't have insurance then. I can't provide for my family. So in like two seconds... This is either going to be like a, just a kind of a sucky morning or my family's going to be on the streets and I'm just frustrated about it. And look, you do the same things, right? It's just, you get the bad, we'll, we'll get to you in a minute. And, and really what's, right, so as I think, like, this is ridiculous and I'm texting Amy and I'm like, what in the world? This is just, this is unbelievable. And really what's up under that, what's up under that is I, Fundamentally, it's me thinking, God, why would you do this? Because I actually believe, believe in God and that God is in control of everything. And, and fundamentally, that just, just evidences my thinking that, look, I mean, look, come on. You know that I need this. Like, just do, like, why would you do it? This is just dumb. And, it, yeah, it's... It's my heart defaulting to accusing God and saying, like, you really can't, I I just can't trust you. Next thing I know, I'm going to be out of a job. Certainly didn't just stop and, you know, talk to the God that has been incredibly gracious to me and just ask him about it. I accuse him. But what about you? When you hear that you're... uh, Whatever it is, when you hear your, your roommate, your housing situation is falling apart for next year, uh, when you hear about your, um, uh, the, you get back your grade that you don't like, when you find that you're in the group project with that person again, uh, when your friend group makes you feel like you're really not part of the friend group anymore, uh, when those people get the nice things and, and you just never seem to, or whatever it is, right? Our hearts tend to think backwards. Last example, it can go something like this. Um, it can be more along the lines of God's law comes to you and it says, um, 
It says sexuality, sex, is, is supposed to be used this way, right? Uh, God basically said, look, sex is for um, a man and a woman in a, in a marriage. That's what it's designed for. But our hearts tend to think, you just can't trust him, though. He, he's got this really cool toy called sex, and he just likes to hold it back for himself, and you just you can't trust him. So I, I'll take it where I can get it. I, I'll deal with it on my terms. I'll have, I'll have sex, uh, you know, when I want to, with whom I want to, I'll deal with it on my terms, because God doesn't care about us. So we see this backwards thinking from the Israelites, and we suffer from it too, but I want you to see one other thing. Second point, I want you to see this backwards justice by God. Backwards justice by God. So the people are accusing God, uh, bringing, bringing lawsuit against him through Moses. And so Moses tells God, they're about to execute me. And so God gives Moses some seemingly odd instructions, right? Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. All right, so what what in the world is is this all about? For me, this is one of those passages that uh, I think it was in college that... You know, I hadn't, you know, heard the story forever growing up in the church and had no clue, like, what it was about. It seemed really weird. And then I heard uh, this, you know, random guy named Tim Keller preach on it. And the lights just, you know, as he explained it, right, the lights just come on. And it was just like, that is amazing. What, it makes so much sense. And so I hope that, I hope that this is that for you. Uh, I hope this is a Tim Keller sermon for you, right? Um, all right, so what, look, what is this all about? What's going on here? The, like we said, the people have brought a lawsuit against God. You have broken covenant with us. And they've essentially asked for a trial. And God basically says, if you want a trial, I'll give you a trial. Let's have a trial. And all the elements really are there, right? You've got the witnesses. He says, you're going to pass in front of the elders of Israel. They're going to be the witnesses. You've got the staff of judgment, right, with which you struck the Nile. This is the implement that's going to carry out the punishment. Uh, you've got the plaintiff, of course, right? The people. Um, but like, let's take just a second to point out who should be on trial here, right? From our first point, I think it should be obvious. But just to be clear, right? The people should be on trial here, right? I mean, they're the ones that have done really. God has done nothing wrong and done everything right. He's been nothing but gracious and kind. And these people keep accusing him and and grumbling and accusing. They should be the ones on trial. But what does God do? He says, I will stand before you on the rock. And look, in Scripture, when someone stands before someone else, it's always the inferior standing before the superior. Right? And here, God says that He, God, will stand before Moses, who wields the staff of judgment. And He tells Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand there before you on the rock, 
And you're going to bring, you're going to bring the stroke of judgment down on that rock. On me. So you get the picture. What God does is he puts himself, right, he puts himself on trial and he declares himself to be guilty. And then he, he brings judgment down on himself. He plays out this drama of a trial right in front of their eyes. And he says, you're, you're going to accuse me. Okay, let's do this. And he puts himself there and he said, and, and he, in just vivid display, judgment falls on him. And on top of that, right, the very act of God bearing the judgment that those people deserved, it results in what? Water springs out of that rock. The very thing that they were accusing him of keeping back, right, the life that they wanted is brought out by God bearing their judgment. It seems backwards, doesn't it? It's because in in some sense, it is. God didn't deserve that. And look, just in case you think I'm reading too much into this, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 1 through 4. So this is Paul. Obviously, this is New Testament. And Paul's talking about the Israelites that came out of Egypt. Talking about them, he says, They were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, right? And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Right? Paul is saying that what we see played out in Exodus 17 is an early picture of Jesus. That one day God is going to show up and He is going to bear ultimate judgment for His people. That justice is going to come down. Justice will be served and He's going to bring it down on Himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what we see is that Jesus came and He came to this earth and He lived a perfect life. I wish we had time to get into the fact that when Jesus is tempted in the desert, right, by Satan himself, Matthew 4, uh, Matthew 4, 5 through 7, Satan tempts Him to throw Himself off the temple. And He quotes Scripture to Jesus and He says, you know, uh, basically, God will take care of you, right? You're the Holy One of God. He'll take care of you. Why don't you throw yourself off? And He's basically trying to get Jesus to think He's basically saying, look, I mean, because you're the Holy One of God, like God loves you, right? I mean, God has your best interest at heart, doesn't he? So prove it. And do you know what, do you know what Jesus answers him? He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? Gosh, I, I said we don't have time to get into it, and I kind of started getting into it. What you see is Jesus coming and, and not just paying for our, taking our punishment, but he comes and he lives the perfect life of not putting the Lord, his God, to the test that we can't live. And then he was hung on a cross. And the ultimate stroke of judgment for sin comes down on Jesus. So that if you trust him, if you trust that his death was for you, which is what he offers to us, 
then there's no judgment left for you. It's all gone. That you get true life. You get life springs out of that judgment. And you get to go free. It seems backwards. Uh, I've heard Ricky Jones, a pastor friend of mine, Ricky Jones, uh, tell a story about a uh, a Chinese village centuries ago uh, that was experiencing a drought. And there was a, there were strict water rations on the uh, the town's well, and if you stole water, uh, the punishment was very harsh. It would result in a beating. And one day, an officer comes in to the to the judge of the town, and he says, "Someone was just caught stealing water, and you need to come deal with it." And so he goes to the to the well, and what he finds is his own mother, with a crowd of people around her. And uh, he finds his own mother, and she's very sick, and she is guarding a bucket of water that she has stolen. And so he's, he's faced with this problem. And so he says, he announces that the sentence is going to be, uh, that she's going to be taken to the, the center of town, tied to a stake, and 40 lashes, she's going to receive 40 lashes. Because justice has to come down. Because if he doesn't provide justice, then anarchy is going to reign. And then stealing water is fair game, and, and justice has to be paid. And so they go to the center of town, and his mother is tied to a stake. And then the judge takes off his robes, and he embraces his mother with his back to the officer. And he turns to the officer, and he says, make sure that Every one of those blows hits my back. And he takes, he takes the judgment on himself. Justice comes down full. And yet he stands in her place. And look, that's a beautiful story. And it's just a taste of what we see in the gospel. It's just a taste of what Jesus has done for us. And I just want to end with these, these two thoughts. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, one, I want you to, I'm glad you're here. We're, we're truly glad that you're here. But if you're here and you're not a Christian and you know that justice, you feel that justice is going to come down one day and you're guilty, I, I want you to see that Jesus invites you right now to let justice come down, to let his backwards justice come down on him and not you. And that, that, that's free, that's a free offer to you to take. And he offers you that because he loves you. And if you are a Christian and you find yourself bringing accusation against God, like I do, again and again, And when things seem to go wrong, our default is to say, this is your fault. If you find yourself doing that, then I invite you to not forget. Like we see the Israelites do. I invite you to remember. To remember what Jesus has done for you. That that the evidence that you have is that God loves you so much. Like Romans says, that He... He doesn't spare anything. He he gives you His Son. 
Why would he hold anything else back? That's how for you he is. I would would just entreat you to see, to turn back in repentance to a God that, that does have your best interest at heart. And that his, his backwards justice is the most vivid demonstration of that imaginable. And that's a real invitation to you. Uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for that almost unbelievable truth. And without your goodness, it would be unbelievable to us. Thank you for accomplishing our salvation. Thank you for standing in our place and bearing our judgment that we so rightly deserve. Forgive us for our accusations. Heal us. Jesus, we pray it in your name. Amen.